Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, let's go to the text today. Matthew 14, we've been in a series called The Fame of Jesus. And today, we're going to conclude this series by looking at this, Revealed in Glory, Distinguished by Faith. Revealed in Glory, Distinguished by Faith. I want to begin by going to the text. We're going to have just a few simple verses here that will be profound for us. Matthew chapter 14, let me read verses 34 through 36 before we continue with the message. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. Matthew concludes this section with a summary of Jesus' impact and influence. And even in this chapter, we've seen them floating back and forth across the Sea of Galilee from one shore to the other, and they can never get away from people. Jesus' reputation preceded him. No matter what shore his foot stepped on, people were already there waiting on him, and crowds quickly swelled at the news of his arrival. Well, he's moved back to the northwest shore and word again has quickly spread and they go out and tell the people come and the crowds begin to grow again. And it tells us that they brought to him all the sick and urged, and listen to what they urged. If only you'll let us touch the hem of his garment. That's all we're asking. We don't wanna ask too much. We know you're a busy guy. Just let us sweep by and touch the hem of your garment. It's the second time we encounter this. Matthew tells us about this same occurrence happening in chapter 9, verses 20 through 22. But we see it here again because, again, he is summarizing the introduction of Jesus' ministry beginning. After chapter 14, Jesus' ministry will come to the forefront. In other words, John the Baptist has been uh, killed. He is no longer present now. The whole focus of what Matthew's presenting will be centered on Jesus alone but listen to what he says the last statement of verse 36 imagine this as many as touched it were made well who came to Jesus and was made well as many as came and touched the hem of his garment that's an amazing statement made almost in passing succinctly stated but without fanfare And yet the potency of it is unmatched. People coming from every direction and any distance. Just to what? This was what they were saying about Jesus. This is the fame of which Herod was hearing. You don't even have to get a hearing in front of him. If you could just get close enough so his coat will sweep by you, you'll be healed of any ailment that you have. Jesus remains in the middle of all the people. Lingering to serve each one. No hurry to leave. Friends, we're left with an overwhelming awe 
as with his previous miracles, but here in kind of the, 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 the refrain that is stated at the end of his introduction and the resonation that continues. And it reminds us of this, that Jesus is like no other. He's not like everybody else. He's completely different. I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever thought about the most amazing thing that you've ever witnessed Jesus to do? The most amazing thing that in in your life you've seen occur, or maybe it's occurred to you, what's the most amazing thing you've ever seen Jesus do? I want you to hold that thought for just a moment, and we'll return to it. But first, I want us to look at the amazement of Jesus. And Matthew provides for us what I would call a summary of three distinct features of Jesus' ministry. We see them throughout his gospel, but explicitly here in chapter 14. The first one is this. Jesus showed great compassion for all people. He showed great compassion for all people. Large crowds gathered everywhere he went, and Jesus never turned them away. You know, he could have said, hey, I'm God. I don't have time. And everybody be like, yeah, he is. Okay, we understand that, right? He never did. He ministered to them and and usually very late into the day. No one walked away from Jesus without being touched by his compassion. You didn't have to beg for it. You didn't have to plead to get to it. He held it naturally. We also see his compassion in who he ministered to. He, he pursued the marginalized, not the elites. That's where he spent most of his time. He engaged people that others socially had shunned, and he loved people that, that society feared. He didn't discriminate in the way he handled one person versus another based on any uh, a comparison or any uh, 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 status that they may have held. All who came to Jesus found their needs met by him. And his compassion, it's where we see his greatest power on earth displayed. There was no barrier from Jesus to minister to all who came to him. His power flowed generously. His power flowed endlessly to people. Jesus' ministry is marked by his great compassion for, listen, not some, all people. A second distinctive that we are shown by Matthew is that his ministry was marked by the proclamation of good news. The proclamation of good news. The the most distinctive trait of Jesus' teaching is always the authority with which he taught. We see this from the people who were close to him. We see this from the people who were furthest from him and held the uh, the smallest amount of admiration for him. But yet they all acknowledge that this man teaches as nobody else ever has as one with authority. Why did he do that? Well, we know he did that because he is the word incarnate. And when the character of a life aligns with the content of the teaching, great authority is held in that. And that's why Jesus was like none other. He was perfect. So when he perfectly taught, it mattered. People from all walks of life, from the simplest and the the most uh, uh, uneducated, illiterate, on no spectrum of, 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 of education or literacy whatsoever, were absolutely amazed at his teaching because they could hear him and it wasn't above their heads. Like they got it, man. Jesus spoke in a way that they understood and he spoke in a way that valued them in the same message The most educated elite of the day listened and were astounded 
to every degree. Not only at the depths and the expanse of his intellect, but at the acuteness with which he touched the life. This is the way Jesus taught. People came in great numbers and they stayed long hours. But his authority was not only in the way of his delivery as a master storyteller we see, but principally his authority was in the message that he brought. Jesus taught people about God in a way they had never heard about God before. Think about this for a moment. The way Jesus taught about God was not the way people had heard teaching about God before. Jesus taught that God desired our obedience out of love, not just adhering to some laws out of fear. That's radically different, friends. Jesus showed that the highest of all law, a law was not in the rules, but in the love that came to us. And he showed how love for God is what led us to obey the law, not adhering to the law is what got us love from God. He showed us how to love God. And in our love for God, how to love other people. And how those two things could not be separated. That the way we loved people demonstrated the way we loved God because the way we loved God would determine the way we love people. Jesus turned religion on its head and he introduced a God who came not to be satisfied by our rituals but to bring us into a relationship with him where we would be known by God because we know God and where he would dwell with us. Radical, friends. This was radically different from the day. You see, when Jesus taught God's law, it became the most beautiful, the most powerful, and the most glorious truth to the mind and the heart of every hearer. His ministry was marked by his teaching, which always revealed the love and the truth of God in glory and in majesty. A third distinctive that Matthew shows us about Jesus' ministry is how people responded to him and the extent of his influence. You might say Jesus was the hottest trending topic of the day every day that he walked on this earth. He was at the top. He was the first. All kinds of people were drawn to Jesus. Not just some, all. The lowliest and the forgotten of society, they found comfort in Jesus when they had only found rejection everywhere else. The paralytic, the demon-possessed, and the leper. This is in one chapter of Scripture, friends. These people, the paralytic, the demon-possessed, and the leper who had to live in exile because of his medical ailment, all received from Jesus what they couldn't find anywhere else, a warm welcome. When the lepers walked by, you know, everyone else in the world, they didn't have a medical treatment for leprosy. And so if it was your spouse, if it was your kid, your parent, your grandparent, or your aunt or uncle, they had to go. If they stayed, the whole family would get it and we'd all be cursed and die from it. They had to go to another city where only lepers lived. And there they lived in isolation until they died. Nobody went near a city of refuge where the lepers lived. Why? Because it was a death nail. But Jesus walked in there and loved. That's radical, friends. That's the way Jesus loved. The toughest centurion bowed humbly before Jesus. 
and the paralytic with no control over his body walked home after his encounter with Jesus. You know, I don't ever get excited about walking home. I can be in my yard and I'm not terribly excited. I wish, you know, if, if, I, if I had something I could ride oh, back over there, that would be better, right? But here's a man who for 40 plus years of his life had never been able to stand up on his own. Probably couldn't move on his own. Likely, from what we know of, of medical, that, that the man's muscles had atrophied to an extent from lack of movement because of his paralysis was severe. And yet when Jesus healed him, he walked home. Just think about the phenomenal message and reality of what it would have looked like to see that man walk for the first. I guarantee you he whistled and skipped the whole way. Jesus sought out the hated tax collector. And he sought out the humble fishermen alike. Everyone in his presence he commanded the attention of. Not because he mandated it. But because he compelled it. This is so radically different friend. And that was true of the elite and wealthy as well. He engaged the socially despised woman at the well And he engaged the religious outcast the same. And he was never bothered to entertain children when they came around. Everywhere Jesus went, people flocked to be near him. His fame was far-reaching and his impact potent in the lives of people who encountered him. This is the Jesus that Matthew introduces to us. And he's emphasizing Jesus' authority in his teaching and his power to heal all who had come to him. And he shows that in his authority and in his power, it's not just by the physical realm of this earth or in creation, but he came for a much greater reason to bring eternal life to those Who would believe? You see, by his teaching and his miraculous power, Jesus distinguished himself as God, but as God, his message was to proclaim he came for more than what this world could provide eternal life with God. Friends, what I want us to see today as the church is this Jesus revealed himself as God, worthy of all glory. That Christ followers might distinguish their lives for his glory by faith to follow him. You see, everyone that encountered Jesus walked away blown away. That's what Matthew's trying to tell us here. Nobody walked away untouched. Everybody walked away blown away away by the amazing things that he did. So why then? Here's the, the question that presses upon us. Why then was there such a vast difference in how people responded to Jesus? Well, the responses of people can really be divided into two groups. Two groups that I would label the crowd and Jesus' followers. The crowd and Jesus' followers. When we consider these groups, clear distinctions emerge about them as well. The crowds followed Jesus wherever they went. They too were amazed and they were everywhere. They were always waiting with their requests and yea, even their demands to experience his power. And they were even mitigating their requests and demands to try and see how quickly and easily they could get to him. Look, I don't want to waste your time. I know you're busy. I bet your schedule's packed. If you'll just let me get near to you when you walk by, that'll be enough for me. But friends, that wasn't enough for Jesus. Can you imagine how wearying it would be 
For every time your foot stepped on the shore, crowds were already there and they were swelling immediately. All the preschool moms are going, oh, I can. Oh, yeah, I understand. I think I get that. Yeah. Kids hanging off their leg. Mama, 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 mama. If you don't listen, it gets louder and more intense immediately, right? You see, we often hear the weightiness of the demand, but not from Jesus, from the disciples. They lived exhausted. (laughs) They didn't know how to address the demands of the people. And because of it, they were weary, they were tired, they were frustrated, and they were overwhelmed. To one extent, even we see that the kids are just running and it's loud and things are getting broken and they're all over the place and, you know, runny noses and, and dirt everywhere. And they're going, could we just tell these kids, let's calm down a little bit? And Jesus says, no, let's have some fun. But Jesus never grew tired, never tired of the request, never tired of the demands. He often ministered late into the night hours to make sure everyone's need was met. This is how Matthew presents him. And many people, friends, many saw their lives changed. Many saw their lives improved by their encounter with Jesus. But many were not eternally changed. That's how we know a person remained in the crowd and never became a follower. The people in the crowd heard Jesus' teaching just like all did and often agreeing with and liking what he said but not believing with saving faith. They would consider what he said, maintain what they liked and disregard what they didn't. How do we know this? Well, some temptations and some propensities are common to humanity. That's what we know. Whether first century or 21st century, we all have those same propensities. But the difference between liking and agreeing with what Jesus said and living by saving faith in him, the best answer can really be found in two of Jesus' teaching, the parable of the soils, And the parable of the treasure that is found. The parable of the soils teaches us that when the gospel goes forth, there's really four kinds of soil or people in the hearing. But only one that receives it with saving faith. And in the parable of the treasure that is found in a field, we're told that in the treasure, the one who finds it so treasures that just so adores and loves that treasure that they bury it, but they go sell everything that they have so they can buy that piece of land and then own that treasure. In other words, there is a complete giving up of themselves and whatever is required so they, can, so they can purchase that land and have that treasure for themselves. You see, surely some in the crowd became followers of Jesus. We know that. But many who initially identified with Jesus, who were even called disciples. John chapter 6 and verse 66 tells us that after his hard teachings, they walked away and no longer followed him. Later, an older man of John who initially told us about them walking away, would later say in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, that they went away from us because though among us, they were never one of us. That's the difference between being in the crowd and being a follower. People of the crowd often experience the same Jesus as any other, but they did so on their terms so they can make him fit their life instead of conforming their life to him. Not everyone in the crowd walked away unchanged. 
Matthew records that there were some who were changed. I believe the centurion was one of those men who came out of the crowd and his faith revealed that Jesus had changed his life and he went from just being in the crowd to becoming a follower of Jesus. Some in the crowd surely did believe to worship and follow him. Matthew can't record the life of every believer. God's got that record. But friends, my use of the word crowd today represents the many of those who remain unchanged eternally by Jesus, regardless of what he did in the temporary for them. And in contrast, the faith and the characteristics of those who follow Jesus clarify for us a biblical model from Matthew's account of what it means to be a real Christ follower. That's what he's showing us. I I want to point out three distinct responses of a real Christ follower that we have that he summarizes for us here, but that he's revealed for us. The first response is this. It's a life of faith that is centered to follow Jesus. A life of faith that is centered to follow Jesus. You see, Jesus' disciples were not identified by their perfect understanding of his teachings or his, uh, their perfect obedience of them. I mean, good grief, when this passage of Scripture starts, Peter's still wet from being in the water. Why? Because of his doubt and unbelief. They didn't understand all that was taught, but they didn't walk away and dismiss it either. They believed that Jesus was God, and that's what determined what they did with what he said, even though they didn't know all that that meant. Because of faith, they lingered afterwards and inquired further so that they could learn, so that they could understand, so that they were obeyed. There was, a, there was a love that was so compelling in them that what he said, whether they fully understood or fully agreed, was worthy of their whole life to more fully take it in. And by obedience, their lives became reoriented to Jesus and to his teachings as the very principle upon which their whole life was centered. Faith is what led them to follow Jesus. Faith is what led them to serve others in his name instead of just showing up wherever he went. You see, the first quality that distinguishes a real Christ follower is a faith to follow Jesus. A faith that moves you to follow him. Saving faith centers all of life on Jesus by standing on the eternal truth of his word. A life that is centered on Jesus holds to what you know to be true about him as has been revealed in his word even when your experience or your feeling seems to be saying something different. By faith in his word, Jesus renews our mind. Romans chapter 12. And by the renewal of our mind, he transforms our life. He changes us from within. And this new life that Jesus gives brings a new way of living that is centered all on him. You see, saving faith treasures God's word above all else that we might walk with Jesus in his truth. I'll give you an illustration from my own life and my own family, not because I want to put us forth as the model, it's just most personal to me. And hopefully it will help you think about some ways in your own life this has been true. Several years ago, my mother was diagnosed with lung cancer. That was shocking for us. The only smoke she had ever inhaled a day in her life was around the weenie roast with the grandkids. I mean, you know, there there just was no reason in our understanding for this. It was scary. It was a little nuts. And and the news shocked us. Caused many questions, as you can imagine. But of those questions, we never questioned whether God was good or whether God was in control. 
I could tell you other stories where we had already learned that lesson and satisfied that in our heart. We sought God, we prayed confidently, and we prayed unashamedly for healing. Lord, we're asking you to heal her. But whether or not healing came would not determine whether we believed he was still God, whether we knew him to still be good, or whether or not he was in control. And I say to you, praise God, my mother's been cancer-free now for several years, and we're so thankful for that. God used medical physicians, medical treatment, and those kinds of things, and we give them proper due, and we're thankful for them. There's some doctors that probably heard more about Jesus in the months and years of her treatments than they had ever heard in the remainder of her life, because that's the kind of woman she is. But we praise God ultimately for her healing. But how could we trust regardless of the outcome? Well, I'll tell you why. Because 30 years ago, my mother was diagnosed with blethrospasm and dystonia. Now, if you're not familiar with this, you're probably not going to get a good medical description of it here in the next few moments. But this is kind of what I have come to understand it as. It is a degenerative muscular disorder that affects predominantly the face, uh, the neck, uh, the eyelids significantly, and, and specifically with my mother, it, it affects her eye muscles and her face so that makes it very difficult to keep her eyes open. She can see fine, her vision's fine, but keeping her eyelids open is very difficult because of the muscular, uh, the degenerative nature of her muscles. It makes it very difficult to swallow. She has to be very careful when she eats, and it even makes it very difficult now for her to breathe because of this. And it, it's, it spreads, it, crawls, it creates daily chronic pain that's very severe and difficulty with the most natural of activities in our life. We've prayed for decades for God to heal her. And we continue to pray for healing, unashamedly. I don't bat an eye at that. But God has chosen not to for some reason. I don't know why. Our immediate situation does not change his eternal truth. He is still God. He is good. And he is in control. So by faith we trust and we follow him. Like Peter says to Jesus a little later in John's record of chapter 6, when Jesus says, do you all want to walk away too? They say, where, where would we go? You are Lord. We've got nowhere else to go. You are our life. This is what you say to Christ the hymn reminds us, take up thy cross and follow me, I heard the master say. I gave my life to ransom thee. Surrender your all today. And then the chorus resonates, wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. People in the crowd came to Jesus for a change in their life situation. Jesus came to the crowds to make people new. Many still gather today to benefit from being close to what's going on with Jesus. But they find themselves not all in to take up their cross daily. Maybe you've been close to Jesus in your life. Maybe you've been close in a lot of church experience. You've seen Jesus do a lot of things. But that's not why Jesus came. Jesus invites you to believe and follow. 
so you can be made new like him. Christ followers ask not only what difference did Jesus make for me, but we ask daily what difference is he making in me? This, friends, is the distinction between what I would consider cultural Christianity where we can talk about a time where we made a decision to trust Christ and maybe even followed in baptism, but there's been no difference in our life since then. And I'm telling you, Satan would love nothing more for you to remain unmoved in the darkness of your deception to believe that that was enough. But Christianity is not just the threshold to life with God. It is the kingdom of God. It's not about what God only did for you at some point in the past. It's about what God's doing in your heart and in your mind and in your life right now. And every moment until he removes you from this earth and then it's all gravy. Jesus revealed that he is God. He is worthy of all of our worship. Therefore, we live by faith a life that centers everything to follow him. The second distinctive of a real Christ follower is a life together with other Christ followers. You know, when the crowds dispersed, they each went home. Back to his own place to do their own thing, to live their own life. When the disciples left, they were still together. You ever picked up on this? Like they're, they're talking about things, they're, they're fleshing it out. Man, did you understand this? I mean, he said this and it totally confused me, but then he said that and I got it. I've got to go back and figure out what he was saying. With, I mean, they were always together. And I don't mean even only physically present with one another, but there is a sense in the unity of their togetherness as disciples. No, I don't believe they lived in some kind of a commune because we even see that they had their homes in which they lived where the disciples would meet from time to time in different instances. But they did live intentionally in community. That's the distinction that we're making here. Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 at the end of both of those chapters are the most succinct descriptions for how the disciples formed a pattern for following Jesus immediately after his ascension. And it is not only descriptive, but it is prescriptive for us today. In other words, it's not just a model for us to emulate, it's actually principles and patterns for us to follow as we adopt in our own life. And the most distinguishing characteristic of the way they lived was that they were together. Acts chapter 2 verse 44 says this, all who believed were together and had all things in common. You see, faith lived in isolation from the church, from God's people, is an incomplete expression of salvation. It is less than God's will for your life as revealed in the scripture. The togetherness of the disciples came from a life that was centered on Jesus, centering themselves on Jesus together. They devoted themselves to the practices, to listening to the word of God taught and preached and studied and the prayers that they would pray. They devoted themselves to the patterns of life. They were together at regular intervals, daily, but also weekly and seasonally. Why? Because this is the way a Christian lives their life. They were together and devoted themselves to the 
people that were strengthening and deepening their faith. These are the things they devoted themselves to. And Luke records that as each one that was a follower experienced the awe that comes only from being with God because of their togetherness, it doesn't mean that they each experienced it all, all the time in the same way every minute. But rather, he's telling us that the work of God that arose when they were together, even if it didn't individually and immediately involve each person because of what God was doing among the gathering of them, became a source of strength for each one of them. Imagine that you show up to church not just expecting what God can do to meet your needs, but asking God, use me to meet the needs of someone else. Mind blown. What they witnessed God doing in each of their lives became a source of glory and praise for all. You see, friends, the best way to recognize and experience what God is doing in your life today is to be living life together with his people. Maybe you would say, but pastor, you know, I've tried groups before. I've been here, other churches that I've been to, and I just never get much out of them ultimately. A few times it's fun to meet some new people, but then I don't get much out of them. And I'll say this to you, and you know I love you, I don't say this to be anything other than helpful in exhorting you. But how about changing your thinking in this way? To, to, to look at what God is doing in the whole and to understand that the weeks that you walk into group thinking, I don't have an immediate recognition of a great need in my life today. Maybe that's your one indicator that says to you, Maybe God wants to work through you today for somebody else. Maybe it's not about you today, but maybe God wants to work through you. Maybe it's a word of encouragement. Maybe it's sitting in silence with someone who's experienced great loss, just being with them. Just saying, you know what, today uh, wasn't so great. This week has been an absolute failure in some ways and a, a, a whirling success in other ways. And that's life some weeks, you know, but we're together in this. I don't hear us talking about that enough. But I hear a lot of talk about what we can get out of and get from. You see, when it says that, that Jesus gave a gift to us, it says that gift was given to express ourselves, not to collect for ourselves. He didn't give us a basket. He gave us a gift in which we can serve and, and do for others in his name. And I think this becomes such a distinction. If you look at the, the, the disciple, I'll get there in a minute. I'm not going to go there yet. I, 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 let me wrap this one up. Jesus called people to believe and to follow by walking with him. So Christ followers walk with Jesus in life together with other Christ followers. For this distinction, I, I'm just asking what, what two, three, four, six names or whatever can you immediately rattle off to go, we're in this thing together. As a part of the church, we're walking together. Listen, maybe you, it's the first time that you came here today. And I'm going to tell you, you won't be able to walk with everybody, but that shouldn't stop you from walking with somebody. What step do you need to take today to devote your life to the Lord by the principles, the practices, and the people that he's put around you.
The third distinction is this, a life lived to serve and impact the world by sharing Jesus. You see, among the crowds, the most distinctive quality of true disciples was how they served, not how they received. They didn't sit down next to all the people and go, man, I'm really thankful for this. This is good food. There wasn't a lot to start with, but there's a whole lot now and I'm not hungry anymore. You know, and trying to like stir up other people to say the same things. No, they were the ones handing it out. They were the ones doing the serving over and over again. It's like the disciples aren't getting anything out of this. They're giving everything. That's the reason they were tired. That's the reason they were weary. That's the reason they were overwhelmed and they were frustrated. They felt the pull of the people, their demands and their needs that were incessantly continuous at every turn. They were the ones moving through the crowd to serve and to advance the mission of Jesus. And they were the ones carrying out what Jesus brought to share. And nobody wants to tell Jesus no. And so when Jesus said, take this one basket and feed these thousands of people, they probably turned around and walked away going, this ain't ever gonna work. But they were different when they each brought their own basket back. The disciples were serving when all the others were receiving. Because they were learning to live, to give themselves away more than just take and receive. But in the midst of living to give themselves away, they became the ones most changed by Jesus. I won't ever stop preaching, serving. I know some of you, There are seasons when you need to rest. There are times when you need to heal. Some of you may have come out of a significant church wound. You may have come out of a season where you've been given your all and you've got to recalibrate how much bandwidth you've got to give. I get that. Continually people come into our church. Through the years, many pastors have come through just to heal before God sent them back out. Not to mention the Christians. But that's never a permanent state, friends. Never a permanent state. When truth is received by faith, it changes the way you live because it changes the way you think. It changes the love that holds you because of the love that has filled you. And it changes the why and the way you live. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. You hear this from me all the time. I never want you to forget it. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's not a select few. That's everyone who's been eternally saved. And so I ask you, is your life one of showing up to take from Jesus? Or are you living to serve and advance his kingdom? Let me tell you, this this response has been a distinguishing characteristic of this body of people, not just the organization of this church, but this body of people, the, the people who are at life point, because so many have served so sacrificially to see the name of Christ advance from our congregation to the nations and to their neighbor across the street that we hold at life point that the way God has created you is to join the movement and to serve to see that kingdom advance. Everyone, not just some, 
all. And the more you serve, the more you will see the change that God is making in you. That's a promise I make, not because of me, but because of what I believe about the gospel. Jesus changes the way we live when we follow him by faith. So Christ followers live and serve to impact the world by sharing Jesus. Now back to my earlier question. What was the most amazing thing you've seen Jesus do? Something around you or something in you? I think this is the real distinction between the crowd and disciples. The crowd experienced all the amazing things by Jesus all around them. Every time they showed up, he did it. Disciples stood in awe because of the change that Jesus was making within them. What difference is Jesus making in your life? Let's pray.